Hope this morning finds you doing well. Uh, his mercies are new every morning. I'm teaching a series, a foundational series, and uh, feel led by the Holy Spirit to teach on Friday nights on um, the supernatural. And theologically, I'm not a cessationist. I'm a believer in the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's how I got birthed into the church in the Southern California in the 70s. And uh, this, these are the doctrinal distinctives of our church. I believe in a new birth. I believe in a God who is present to help. And I'm going to talk about the nature of God today. I started out a few weeks ago on Sundays with the scripture and the inerrancy of scripture. The foundational verse was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is a training center. So that, look at this, the man, woman, or child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I propose to you, second chapter of Ephesians, verse 10, you and I, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works that you should uh, understand them, know them, gain ground in them. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The book of Mark, a guy asked a question about what mattered the most. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 1988, we started St. Louis Family Church. Uh, the goal is to honor God, to help people. What honors God? He inhabits the praises of his people. Faith pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we're listening, we're learning, we're life learners. We had many medical doctors uh, through the services this morning. And uh, they're always doing homework. They're always learning. They're always studying. And uh, we as believers uh, need to go back and be reapprised on the basics um, yesterday, uh, or a couple days ago, my, my wife and I had one of our grandkids in the car, Lyric, five years old, and she asked us what a basement is, what a foundation is. And so we began to explain that before you can build anything, you've got you've to set the foundation correctly. And this is what I feel in this crazy, chaotic time we're in, um, that where everything that can be shaken is being shaken, that we receive, however, a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Remember that famous point when Jesus at Caesarea Philippi asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Somebody blurted out Elijah. Somebody else said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said, he got specific. Who do you say I am? And what did Peter say? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, that is exciting. That what Jesus will build as a foundation is solid. Our basis is a love for God. The word of God is our, our guide. The Holy Spirit is leading us. I'm telling you, good things are taking place in this moment we're in. We're emerging out of a global pandemic we're also going into a great global awakening, a harvest amongst the lost and a revival in the church. 
So it's people like me pastoring day in, day out to fortify you, to equip you. I'm called to be an equipper according to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm not up here just to hear myself talk. I'm not here to engage with woody conversation. I feel like Paul where he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Uh, uh, so I didn't want your faith to rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so I'm telling you, I'm teaching today about the nature and character of God. And, um, and I want to just read something to you that's meant a lot to me over the years since Bible school. In, in Article 5.2 in the Constitution of the Assemblies of God, a, a spirit-filled denomination, it said, the one true God has revealed himself as the eternally self-existent I am. The one true God has revealed himself as the eternally self-existent I am, the creator of heaven and earth and the redeemer of mankind. This is what I want to propose to you and talk to you about. I want to contrast Christian theism with atheism, agnosticism, polytheism, pantheism, and some of these other isms, deism, and just show contrast here. And um, I just want to show you that God has further revealed himself as embodying the principles of relationship and association as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. In a crazy, pluralistic, relativistic world, it's important that we know what we believe. It's important that we understand and have anchoring concept about what we've embraced so that we don't get tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, cunning craftiness, and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects in him. So the just shall live by faith. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Faith pleases God as we're about to read. Faith comes by hearing God's word, the word of Christ. It's all about Jesus. I visited Carlene Kosky yesterday. Her husband, Tom, passed about a month ago. And um, the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And I've had an interesting morning. I ran into people that I've known for many, many years. We shared stories about and examples of how God, in my case, I got saved in California. Tom Kosky had a number of his children born in California. They found their way back to St. Louis. He was a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor that went to Concordia Seminary in the 1960s. Very difficult. Went eight years to seminary. Was a pastor in a church out in Alta Loma, California in the summer of 1969 when my mother found that there was only one vacation Bible school in the whole area where we lived. My dad had moved for his aerospace job from San Diego up to near Pomona. Alta Loma is in the Inland Empire between San Bernardino and Los Angeles. And uh, my mom dropped my brother and me off at this Lutheran church uh, that we didn't know anybody there. We didn't want to be there. He was about nine. I was, or he was 10 or so. I was 13. And uh, there we were. And I found out that that pastor was Tom Kosky. He came out uh, and he prayed and he spoke God's word over me outside the church, the Lutheran church, when I was a little lost kid, a lost, disoriented teenager. The disruption of moving during junior high from San Diego to 
the Inland Empire, which was smoggy, air polluted, and hot. And, uh, you know, when the disruption of, I feel kind of, I relate to what the kids have gone through with a disruption of isolation through this last time. It's kind of like everybody just moved during junior high. And, but I'm telling you, God is solid and amazing and faithful. How about this? Tom Kosky ended up being the pastor that spoke the word to me when I was at the vacation Bible school so many years ago, a couple thousand miles away. And then there I am with uh, his wife, talking to her about the goodness of God, talking to his son about how he comforted his dad and, and power assisted him at 1.30 in the morning when he was getting ready, facing death and getting ready to die. The man that raised him up from his diapers, now it was a role reversal. Now the, the son is elegantly supporting his dad as he transitions. And the beauty of the reality that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the amazingness of God ordering our steps. It's no coincidence you're here today. It's no coincidence that God's brought you into this moment. And uh, I, I just want to tell you that it's important that we live a life of assurance and confidence in God and walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Say this with me. I walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I appreciate sight. I get up in the morning and love sunrises. I love sunsets. I stop and smell the roses. I, I just watched some chipmunks running by this morning while I was drinking my coffee. I get a kick out of life. I'm a sentient guy. I love to high-five and shake hands with, you know, so when we were six feet away, it was a little tough for me. I'm, I'm a hugger. I've got a lot of backlog of hugging. I'm going to be hug, ling, giving a lot of awkward lingering hugs in these upcoming days. Just want to warn you. I, and I appreciate my five physical senses. I appreciate uh, thinking and, and the processes of, of our intellect and, and the amazing ability to read and think and ponder things and meditate and be contemplative. I love that. But I'm telling you, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's inclusive of all features of our lives. But the main thing is that we are to walk by faith and to have this anchoring trust in this invisible and yet real, amazing God. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. His exclusivity might make you feel like a bigot. People in the pluralistic world may, may be dismissive of it. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father but through him. And that is helpful when you're in trouble to know who the help comes from. You don't dial 811 or 735, it's 911. And so I thank God for specific clarity about Jesus who died on the cross is unique and has done such a great work and is deserving of full focus and attention. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Wow. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. That's trippy. I mean, that's way out there, man. That's a cool invitation into a really amazing life. And it's not mysticism, and it's not superstition. I'll tell you what it is. It's God's design. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's not just the eternal mind. He's not just this distant God. He's a very present help, and I'm going to show you and if you're a note taker, my three points of theology that I'm going to try to teach, but I'm going to end up preaching. God is good, God is powerful, and God is present. And I'm going to do my best to take his uh, omnibenevolence, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, 
and take those theological ideas and try to apply it into the most practical things for each one of us uh, so you have personal takeaway. You have assurance about God's goodness. You have uh, uh, a real help concerning his power and that his presence brings you amazing uh, strengthening. I believe 2021, the beginning of the year, the Lord spoke to me that it would be a year of strength, hope, joy, and courage. Strength. The Lord is the strength of our lives. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians 6. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. God is our strength. God is our help. David strengthened himself in the Lord as God. In a very real sense, that's exactly what you guys came to do today. This is a training center. This is an environment for equipping. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It brings distinction between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that he will sanctify you entirely, wholly, completely, and that your whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved blameless to the day of Jesus. God the Spirit is doing a great work in your life. My friend Tom died, and then another man, another friend, Martin, died. Martin was the guy that came to church with his wife. She's a believer. He said he was an atheist. And we discussed things and debated over the years. I loved him so much. He just passed this weekend. And uh, I talked to him, and he, he, he would debate with me, and he explained that he's an atheist, and I would explain to him I'm a Christian. And he went, well, at one point he said, look, he was also a poll worker, and he, he, he said to me, look, you know, I've been easy on you at church. But, man, I want to run into you at the parking lot at Best Buy. So I don't think I went to Best Buy ever since after that. Because I, you, I thought, you've been easy on me at church? After services, he'd debate with me about God, you know, and his, I thought, you were going easy? Uh, and, and, you know, he, he just debated with me, you know. But he, he had a twinkle in his eye, and he was a sweet, very intelligent man. And uh, I have assurance that the word of God is so powerful and one time, he and I, we were at the same doctor's waiting room, and we ran into each other coincidentally, and I had my son Taylor with me. And Taylor, is, he's, he's had quite a journey, and he, he sat down next to Martin, and Martin had gone to some of Taylor's concerts, and Martin was supportive and respectful and loving to our, our family, even though he had this attitude in the things of God. And Taylor sat to him, looked at him and said, Martin, you know, I thought about atheism, but I'm not an atheist, which is always good when you hear your preacher's son say that. Yeah. And he just witnessed to Martin, and it took Martin by surprise. And I know Martin. He's a real debater. He's really witty, really smart, very astute. He, went, he read the whole Koran. So, I mean, the guy, the guy really studied, and uh, he didn't know what to say. So I see in that case the word of God is incorruptible seed. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to anyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. I am convinced that that incorruptible seed has a life of its own. I believe it's the foolishness of preaching that pleases God. And I believe we need to understand in our lifetime what we believe. And so this is why we he, he, God gets up and brings this clarity and reveals himself to us and wants us to walk by faith. By faith, we understand in verse two that, that the word, or three, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So everything we see came out of the invisible. 
You listen to physicists, astrophysics guys, people that are trying to think and about the Big Bang and all the origin of everything. They're, 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 they have theories galore. But let me tell you, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of the formless void, he, he, out of the darkness, he said, let there be light. And there was light. He created this amazing, beautiful existence for his good pleasure. Christian theist lands on this. The fool, however, according to Psalm 14, verse 1, strongly warns us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I'm confident that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's in Romans chapter 10. I believe there have been many deathbed salvations where we sowed the seed and we prayed the prayers and we cried the tears and we believed God for people's hearts to be touched. And I'm just, that is my hope. That was my hope for my grandfather who gave no indication that he had repented. And my hope is because I loved him that I get to be with him again in heaven. So I just care, I just have to just leave that to God and trust that in his last breath he called upon the name of Jesus. As a pastor, I visited in a hospital visit after hospital visit. And one of the most glaringly amazing moments I've had or ever had in my ministry was when a man died they revived him because they hadn't written and signed the do not resuscitate order. The hospital was obligated to resuscitate him. He revived long enough for me to go into the ICU, pray the prayer of faith with him. He indicated that he received Jesus. Ten minutes later, he died. My view is that he died. They revived him, but when he died, he went to hell. They revived him. He came back in his body. A preacher came by at the last second. He got, he got to pray the prayer of salvation right there on his deathbed. His daughter came in that he was estranged from because of alcoholism and other things. And I told her to tell him that he loved, she loved him. That's what the last thing that he heard was that, he, that they loved each other. And then the door was closed. That's amazing. But man, you don't want to put it off. Today's the day of salvation. And, and our God is a God of salvation. And salvation belongs to our God, and he's so good. Look at verse 6 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, two things, must believe that he is. Remember, the Assemblies of God preamble says, The one true God has revealed himself as the eternally self-existent I am, the creator of heaven and earth and the redeemer of mankind. Hallelujah. And we must just hunker down and say, God, I acknowledge that you exist. But we don't just stop there. The secondary part is actually primary. The next part is that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So let's look at this theology in practicality. I believe that God has made these amazing technical spiritual things available for us to understand and to know him is to love him and I want to tell you God is good God is powerful God is present he's present to help right now he's not weak toward you but he's mighty in you and he's good and his goodness is not something to ignore it's not something to question John 10 10 defines it that the thief comes to steal kill destroy he said I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly the world is crazy, it's fallen, and there are a lot of things that don't seem to reconcile, and there are conclusions theologically that blame God for things or that attribute it to his causative work or to try to figure out whether it's his permissive work, and there are all kinds of layers and layers of these things. But let me just tell you, the Lord is good. 
And in Psalm 100, verse 5, I love this verse, and it's actually repeated again and again in the Hebrew Bible. For the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. When we read Hebrews 11, and we see that the men of old by, the, by faith obtained a good report. They had a good life. Noah had a really impactful life. Abraham and Sarah had a child. David conquered kingdoms. Daniel shut the mouths of lions. From weakness they were made strong. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit is the same today as it was during the period of the Old Testament and the early birthings of the church. And that's what I'm talking about on Friday nights. Sunday morning, I'm reminding you that the Bible ought to be your best friend. You ought to spend hours studying it. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. A workman who needs not to be ashamed. Handling accurately, rightly dividing the word so that you not be tossed to and fro by the crazy, amazing bursts of chaotic ideas. God's a God of peace and not confusion. He brings order out of chaos. He brings clarity out of all this haze. And I'm telling you, the word of God pierces the darkness. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. In fact, Jesus is the word made flesh. We walk with him. We come to know God in this framework. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 quickly. God, at the beginning, he spoke through Moses and David and the prophets. But now, in these last days, he's speaking to us through his son. And so if you want to understand God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... It's important that you get your eyes on Jesus. In fact, that was the last point Tom Kosky made to me in church. The last conversation he and I had, he said, it's all about Jesus. The last word out of his mouth to me was Jesus. He, that was probably the first word he spoke to me when I was a lost teenager in Southern California. I'm going to get emotional about it. Think about that. And how he found his way back from California, and I moved from California and here, and they found their way in our church, and we had the privilege of enjoyment of them in the, in the last seasons of their beautiful lives. Now, Carlene's coming back strong and healed and blessed because I know he's the God of comfort, and she's only 80 years old. I know Caleb took a mountain, Hebron, and the giants when he was 85 on his 85th birthday. I know that as your days are, so shall your strength be. And I know our God is a mighty God. He's a righteous and holy God, and he's worthy and deserving of our attention and of our focus. He'll help you in your marriage. He'll help you raising your kids. He'll help you through sickness and disease. He'll help you through deprivation and loss and sorrow. He helped us all through this pandemic. He's helping our church. He's bringing a purging, purifying, and refining. He's indicating where the false agendas are so they can be moved out so a new, fresh uh, uh, inspiration can come. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. The Lord is doing a great work. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As prevalent as the gates of hell are, as the demonic oppression seems to get more increased in the latter times, he said, realize this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, difficult in the end times, difficult times will come. Difficulty. But we are poised with a good God who's powerful, who's present, who has delegated his authority to us, has given us the name above every name, who has given us the power to bind and loose, the power of agreement, uh, uh, the, the, the value of connection. I'm telling you, the, the, the cord of three strands cannot quickly be broken. 
Uh, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. Where's Jesus in all this? He's right here. He's very present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1, very present help. Who says that about anybody? It can only be attributed to God. He's a very present help. He's present. He's right on you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've been binge watching a show called Alone. And they drop 10 contestants off out in obscure wilderness places like Canada or Alaska. There's no development. Nobody's there. They just have, they have some GoPro cameras and batteries, and they're out there. They could be for months. And it, it's, it's whoever taps out, uh, men and women that are skilled and adept at survival. But I was amazed when I heard over and over again from the contestants that the thing that was the most dreadful and the most difficult for their whole deal was isolation. And that's the name of the program, Alone. And they said that it's amazing that, that we human beings are designed for connection. You know why? Because God made us to fellowship with him. We are social beings. That's why we're starting Children's Church next week. Kids, our kids need to be trained up in the way they should go, but they also need vital fellowship and parents need a break so that they can get in and enjoy church without having to babysit. And we can train up our kids, the next generation. Hallelujah. Listen, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter one. Look at this. Back in the day, we heard from Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the word are written by Moses. Psalms written by David, for the most part. Proverbs by his son Solomon. Of course, Isaiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, Micah, the prophets and, the, and the, 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 the people before us. But there's one greater than Moses has come. God, after he spoke long ago in, to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. This is what I love, verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. He said, my, in the King James, meat is to do the will of the Father. That which brings fulfillment to me is specifically and implicitly what he tells me. I'm not speaking on my own volition, Jesus said. I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm not detached. I'm on a specific, specified uh, trajectory, and it is to seek and save that which is lost. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the work of the evil one and to delegate authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So, uh, Matthew chapter 28, the last few verses. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the, of the earth. The most, one of the most harsh sentences in the prison systems of the world is something called solitary confinement. That is the tough thing. That's the, that's the, the thing they do when people are incorrigible. They, they put them in solitary confinement, isolation. But I'm going to tell you, we are not alone. God is good. God is powerful. 
God is present. The collateral damage of the fall was separation, alienation, isolation. They were banished from the garden, but the, re the restoration that Jesus came to bring is life and that much more abundantly. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and that much more abundantly. The word is zoe. It's not only quantitative life, it's a quality of life that heaven itself enjoys. Amen. Hallelujah. Tom Kosky, who preached to me the summer of 1969 when I was a lost, disenfranchised teenager, is present with the Lord. I have assurance of that because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And our loved ones like Sharon and people we care about and we miss are present with the Lord and we're going to get to see him again. I talked to Pastor Bill and he had to do a service of a, of a baby who died after only a week of life and it's tragic. It's inexplicable. How do, you, how do you really reconcile that? But the consolation is what happened with David and Bathsheba, where that child died and he was fasting and praying for the birth of, for that kid to be restored. The baby died, somebody informed him, and he made the point. He washed his face, and he said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. And he got up and went on with his life. And that's, guys, how we handle disappointments and the harshness of a fallen world. That's how God helps us to reconcile the variable crazy stuff that we see that doesn't all tie in and make a lot of sense. But I'll tell you what does make sense. There's a God in heaven. Daniel said reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4 commanded light to shine out of darkness. And he's the one that's shining the light in our hearts. That Psalm 119 verse 105 said it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Nudge somebody next to you and say, God is good. God is powerful. God is present. All right, so listen, I've got a little bit of time here, just a very brief moment. Omnibenevolent, omnipotent, and omnipresent. I'm going to talk to you about these omnis. And I'm going to talk to you about how he, God, is the original, uncreated, always has been, always will be, self-existent, eternal one. He is good. He is powerful. He is present. There's no limit to his power. All wise, all knowing. You're the God who sees me, says in Genesis 16, 13. He will hear your faintest cry. This is why I'm not a deist. Deism is the belief that a supreme being is above us and a source uh, uh, as a creator of all things, but, but is, he is far removed from us and, and he cannot communicate with us and he is completely indifferent to our need of him or to, and he's deaf to our cry for mercy or help. I do not believe that. I don't prescribe that. However, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their faintest cry. That's what it says in Psalm 34, 15. And in Psalm 46, 1, one of my hallowed favorite verses, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Pantheism is the belief that God is all and all is God. It's all just kind of intrinsically bound together. However, God is not the sum and spiritual substance of, of all or an impersonal something or a universal mind. No, God is a person and is in all but also above all and independent of all. He's the unique person of the universe. And Jesus is the exact representation of his, of his being. He's the image of the invisible God according to Colossians 1.15. Atheism says no God, only material stuff. Polytheism 
is the belief that there are many paths to God. That's, that's the pluralistic world the Roman Empire was engaging in. That's the pagan, crazy, polytheism, pantheism, polytheism combo that was present in, in Rome. George Whitfield, the great revivalist of the 1700s, warned that if America doesn't have a revival, it'll lapse back into pagan Rome. And that was 300 years ago. I'm believing God for a harvest amongst the lost and a revival in the church. I'm believing God that Tom Koskies will flourish and thrive and that Martins will come to the same conclusion you and I have, that there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, who sent his son Jesus not to condemn or punish the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Salvation belongs to him and he's distributed it and he's given it and God is good. I asked my wife, what in practical terms does it mean to you when I say God is good? She said, because when, knowing that God is good, knowing that Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. She said, it, it, it gives me the assurance that whatever I'm facing, God is going to work things out. I thought that's a practical interpretation of, of omnibenevolence, that God is good signals to us that it can be trusted, that, he, that it gives us assurance that he's our help. You know, I, after 93 flood, I got an interview on a TV program, Christian Broadcast, and I was surprised. I was, I was sharing the testimony of how God had answered my prayer. God ordered my steps and got me. I was out of town, and I was actually in Tulsa, and God brought me back to St. Louis, and, woke, and I knew somebody was going to call us in the morning. God was giving me step by step, and while God was giving me step by step, I was hassled by a, a Christian, a member of the church, who betrayed me right that same night, and I was battling unforgiveness and hurt, and I was exhausted, and I had to overcome all that. The context was grim. And then I get a phone call that we need to evacuate. There's a voluntary evacuation, not mandatory, not compulsory, but just a voluntary suggestion, hey, the, the levee's going to break and you need to get stuff out of your building. I'm just calling all the residents and tenants and, and people in the valley. And I, and I, was, I was exhausted. I was, I was not in, I was not in a, a, um, a very you know, exciting place. I wasn't like an all-night of prayer. I wasn't like a happy camper. Uh, you know, a guy had just betrayed me the day before. It was very, and I've noticed this, that coincide with great miraculous things. Some, oftentimes, it's the darkness before the dawn. We had an Easter where somebody sent their seven-year-old with a mean, mean letter. And I got the letter. I said, thank you to the little girl. I said, thank you. And I opened it up. And it was just one of the meanest letters you could read as a pastor. It affected me all day Saturday. This was Good Friday. And then it's all day Saturday, I suffered with this. I had to battle it. I was so upset. I was so hurt. And it was so dismissive and caustic and mean, mean-spirited. And then... That Sunday, we had one of the greatest miraculous breakthroughs that you could ever even imagine. It was just a phenomenon, just in the context of it. That's why we're to walk by faith and not by sight. That's why, well, if God's really good, why did all this happen? Well, see, that's the thing. They asked me this question. When I'm telling them about how God helped me out and God ordered my steps and God gave me a prophetic heads up and God moved me into the right place so I could make a good decision. And then I called friends, people from church, and other pastors sent his staff to come up and, and, and to help get our stuff out of the building. I'm forever grateful to them. And then they said, were you mad at God? And I, I was like, what? I'm in the middle of talking about how God is good, powerful, and present. You're kind of exhorting me to be, am I supposed to be mad at God at this point for the flood? 
I'm not even attributing the flood to God. That doesn't fit with my theology. The reason it flooded was because the levee broke because it was a crummy levee. It was an agricultural level, now, a levy. Now it's a, supposed to be a 500-year levy. And I'm just believing God that that 500 years is 500 years from now. And, 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 and then also the reason it flooded was because it rained a lot. And it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And it just rained a lot. And then the levy broke. Everybody say, oh, well. So would I be mad at God? God was the one I was running to for help. When the enemy came in like a flood, God raised a standard against him. And his standard is the word and his promises. Everybody say, God is good. God is powerful. God is present. Mm, this is important that you understand this. The Lord is good and his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The Hebrew word for good is tob. Everybody say tob. And the, the word for loving kindness is hesed. Hesed, it's, it appears over 150 times or so in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful word. They try to translate it in English into loving kindness or mercy or compassion. Certainly all of those things. But the better translation for it is obligatory, loyal love. God who cannot lie and God who cannot sin and God who has selective memory and has chosen to throw your sins and my sins into something called the sea of forgetfulness, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Who, by the way, is glad for that? There are none that are righteous, no, not one. There's not a self-righteous bone in any of our bodies. None are righteous, no, not one. And yet he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that you and I, we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. He wanted a people unto himself. He said, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I'll remember your sins no more. He, does it, he said he does it for his own sake because he wants a people for himself. Aren't you glad you get in on that? That you're a want and a desire and an interest and an affection point of God. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The idea of deism is like you can cry till you're blue in the face and God doesn't care, he's indifferent. No, the God that I see in the scripture that I'm preaching to you is a very present help in trouble. Jesus introduced him as a father, a good father. The last service, there was a guy and they had a, he had a little toddler out there with pigtails and she was sprinting back and forth in the foyer. He looked at me and he politely said, Pastor Jeff, I'm really excited about children's church starting next week. <laughs> said, she's developed a habit. She thinks she's supposed to come out here and sprint. And I said, so you are excited about children's church? Yes, I am. And then they were doing rock, paper, scissors, and he kept losing. So I see that he's, she's, you know, she's developed some skills. She's sprinting skills in rock, paper, scissors, and now she's going to get to learn the word and grow in the faith. Hallelujah. God is good. And Patsy made the point. You know, and this is what I said to the people when they said, are you mad at God? I said, no, I'm not mad at God. I'm not mad at God. God is so good. And, and uh, because we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. One of my favorite verses in the last chapters of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, the summary of Joseph's difficult, challenged ministry in life. He got up and said, I have a dream. And his brothers 
betrayed him, threw him in a hole, sold him to slavery. He rose to the top in Potiphar's house, and then his Potiphar's wife got lustful and falsely accused him, and he got thrown in jail for a false accusation, was there for years. He was forgotten by the person that he asked to tell, give a good word to the Pharaoh. He forgot all about him, so human agency didn't raise him up. Promotion, by the way, doesn't come from man. It comes from the Lord. So if you feel rendered and you feel ignored and you feel denied, listen, God is good. I'm not mad at God. I wasn't mad at God for the flood. I've not, not ever been mad at God for anything because he's so good. He's so powerful and he's so present. I've been mad at myself. I've been mad at the devil. I've been mad at people. And I've had to forgive them. And I've had to receive mercy. And I've had to resist the devil. And he's faithful. And he's just. And he's holy. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I think what the enemy means for harm, God turns around for good. Not everything comes from God, but everything is used by God. Did you hear that? There's certain theology where everything is used by God and the devil's on God's leash and God uses sickness to heal us. And there, there are lines that are drawn. I cannot substantiate that theologically. God is good. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give abundant life. And to be sure, life has its elements that are very um, mysterious. But God is good. And in fact, when it says the Lord works in mysterious ways, wonders to perform, that's not in the Bible. In fact, he doesn't withhold insight. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Seek the Lord, pursue him, and find out what he has to say. He'll give you guidance. He'll show you the next steps of what you're to do in your obedience. He'll order your steps. He'll show you what to do. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That's why Paul said, I could abase and abound. I've been through a lot of stuff, and I've concluded Philippians 4, 7, 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I asked my wife, how does God's power impact you in a practical way? She said, I know then that because he's powerful and he's good, that any problem I face, uh, I can give it to him and he can and will do something with it. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You deal with struggles and trials. You cast your burdens on the Lord. What will he do? He'll sustain you. He's not indifferent toward you. He's not weak toward you. He's very present. And he has the capacity, the willingness, the interest, and the track record to show that each and every one of us, he is watching over. He cares about. He, even the sparrows, he, he's aware of every single one of those little sparrows that seem to be of no consequence, but yet are precious to God. And how much more worth are you? He says, oh, ye of little faith. That's why we've got to spend a lifetime Developing faith on his goodness, on his power. Study the scriptures and see the power of God from page to page to page. And realize that his power is intact and preserved faithful for this hour. If he's faithful to a thousand generations, then he's not withholding or diminishing his power through any period of the church age. All the way through to the consummation of the end of the age. God has been and always will be good, powerful, and present. Patsy said to me, well, it, since God's good and powerful, I can forgive when I've been hurt. I can be strong when I feel weak. I can keep standing when I feel like giving up. And she reminded me of Matthew 19, 26, that with man it's impossible, but with God 
all things are possible. Hallelujah. Say this with me. God is good. God is powerful. God is present. And lastly, I'm going to finish with God is present. His presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. As a spirit-filled Christian, I appreciate the presence of God. And no, I'm not addicted to goosebumps or the absence thereof. I've learned to walk by faith and not by sight. My Christian life is as sentient and touchy-feely a person as I realized I am. I could become addicted to signs and feelings and tangibleness. And God's insisted that I walk by faith and not by sight, although there are tokens of his good and manifestations that will give you goosebumps and hallelujah for them. But they emanate from them. They're not the, they're not the basis of our walk, lest we be mercurial up and down like a, like a roller coaster. God is present when, even when you, Psalm 23, 4, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me in trouble. He was with me when I was lost in the ocean. He was with me when I was unconscious and couldn't even help myself. And then when I did wake up, I could hardly move because my ribs and my sternum were broken. I couldn't even move. Every time I moved, I heard a whiny yelp out of my voice. I was totally helpless. I needed help. And guess what? God's my help. Very present help. Everything good that's ever happened in my life, I give him all the credit for. I stop and I give him praise. We've had a wonderful track record at St. Louis Family Church, but for us, the best is yet to come. Everything was a test run. Everything was preparation so that we would know and have instilled in our, our belief system that God is good, God is powerful, and he's present. I've watched people who lost loved ones I'm certain the Lord will be with that couple who lost that little child. I think about the chancellors who carried a baby full term and then delivered uh, stillborn and the, the heartbreak of that. But I also noticed like the Bowers, they showed up within a few days at church. And when I walked around the corner and I'm walking around being Pastor Jeff and I see this young couple who just went through a, a, a crushing loss of a lifetime and I see them refusing to quit. I see them pressing and running toward God, not mad at God, not running away from God. I got tears in my eyes, and it was actually pride as a, as a pastor. I was proud of them in that good sense of the word that, that for them to, I just, I just saw their testimony. And you know, they recovered, and they went on and they had another little precious baby, and that little boy is just a sweet little treasure. And we know that that other child is present with the Lord, living some existence without fear, without temptation, without any doubts, without any possibility of rejection uh, in, a, in an environment where I guess the nursery has, is attended by angels or something. I have something of, uh, beyond our ability to think. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit himself is defined in a word called paraclete or parakletos, and it means called alongside to help. When you know somebody's with you, you're not alone. One of the phrases we use in modern time is, hey, I have your back. Exercise, somebody, if it's a free weight, you need somebody to spot you. I'm, I've got your back, I've got you, I'm watching you, I'll take care of it, I've got it, I've got this. And, and I'm telling you, we've got this amazing 
breathtakingly wonderful, trustworthy, reliable Heavenly Father who has proven and demonstrated His mercy and grace throughout the Old Testament, through the New Testament, in through the modern time, all the way to 2021. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I, I, I'm with you, I'm here, I, I, my ear is inclined to the prayer of the upright. That's the opposite of deism. That's the opposite of, there, yeah, God might have created all this, I'll give you that, but he never is involved with humanity. What a shallow, sad, tragic existence. What a tragedy. Said the sparrow to the robin. He said, said to the sparrow to the robin, I would really like to know why, the, why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Look at the birds, look at the grass and how beautiful the flowers are. Look at the fields, lift up your eyes. Look up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I was with a son and a widow and they were exhibiting courage. Where did that come from? I'd been with people who lost a baby at birth, who lost a young person at, in, in, in an inopportune time. It doesn't reconcile. A lot of the, these things just don't quite make sense. How, how is it that Marilyn Hinn and Wally Hickey send their daughter to Oral Roberts University? She goes on a mission trip that they probably paid for. She comes back with some sort of existentialist dismissiveness and says, Mom, I'm not going to be the dorm uh, chaplain anymore because you have to be a Christian. I'm an atheist now. And Marilyn Hickey gets told that by her daughter, what's her name? What's her daughter's name? Sarah, yeah. Sarah tells her, yeah, I'm an atheist. So Marilyn gets on her knees and seeks the Lord and prays, and Sarah repents. Now Sarah's preaching again. Let's all stand up on her feet. God set it up for Taylor to talk to Martin in the, in the, in the lobby of that doctor's office. God set it up that Trey and I would be dropped off at a Lutheran church. We weren't even Lutherans. And that a guy who studied in Concordia for eight years goes out there, preaches, gets filled with the Holy Spirit and they give him the left foot of fellowship and then he ends up finding his way to our church and has his last days here downloading, praying. He was one of the most faithful people in prayer. He wore that red shirt. He'd come walking up. He had to battle in his life. He had arthritis. My wife prayed for him. We were burdened for him. And like his son said, he doesn't have to deal with that anymore. He's going to get a glorified body, man. He's, gonna, he's, he's in the presence of the Lord. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy, right? Man, I'm so happy Dr. Paul deals here. It's the first time he's been back in church, physical church in a while. He's been online. I've been waving to you. It's good to have Dr. Paul deal here. Hey, I want you to give each other a hand for standing next to each other. I want you to look, say to somebody next to you, I'm glad you didn't get up and run when I sat next to you. Can you say that to each other? God bless you guys. Go out and have a great day. We'll see you later. Hallelujah.